there, and welcome back to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the No Time for Pop Quizzes edition. (laughs) My name is Sarah O'Donnell. I'm an editorial writer with the Journal, and with me in the newsroom studio this January 8th for our first podcast of 2015, our provincial affairs columnist, Graham Thompson. Hello. City columnist, Paula Simon. And Happy New Year. Thank you. (laughs) Hello, Sarah. And senior reporter, Sheila Pratt. Greetings, everyone. Welcome back, everyone. We ended 2014 in a way that was so unexpected. We scrapped our quiz show plans. And with so much news already happening in 2015, it frankly seems equally crazy to dwell on the trivia of 2014 this week. So we're just going to launch into the week's topics, uh, politics, ethics, and pipelines, I think, can sum it up. There will be no bells and whistles, sadly. But uh, you've got us. So let's start with the changes that rocked Alberta politics at the close of 2014. Nine Wildrose MLAs, including leader Daniel Smith, crossed the floor on December 17th, in case anyone forgot, to the PCs. Graham, did the holidays mend any of the wounds inflicted <laughs> by this massive floor crossing? It's amazing the anger out there right now. I've talked to people from both, Wild Rose especially, are on the record, they're angry. Uh, they had a meeting this week in, in Calgary, the, the, probably the first meeting of the senior executive um, writing association presidents in Calgary on, on Tuesday night. They're trying to make it sound like they're less angry than they actually are, but anger is really driving them right now. They're claiming people are, are calling, offering them money. They've said they've raised $30,000 in the last few weeks uh, from people who's angry with what's actually happened. People are angry in the Wild Rose, understandably. Also, people in the PCs are angry, too, um, especially writing association presidents, especially those affected by the floor crossings who have now got on their lap a uh, Wild Rose MLA, who's now a PC MLA. So the anger is still out there. The question is going to be, will it continue? Will this dissipate? Will it actually drive people to the polls next election, this year and next? Um, so that, that's, that's still the big un- unanswered question. I think one of the unanswered questions we had when this all happened was, well, what happens to some of the folks like Daniel Smith and Rob Anderson? Um, we had some news about Rob Anderson's uh, political future. Paula Sheila, can you sum up for us what that was? Well, Rob Anderson decided to step out of political life, much to the surprise of many of us. He's not running again, and uh, it's led to a lot of speculation about why that happened. Uh, was there a deal or not to give him a cabinet post, to help him get the nomination, or did he just realize that the, the voters are in his riding are actually not very happy with what's happened? I think it's a quite a big development and speaks to what Graham said that, you know, the holiday season did not heal these wounds, and in fact, it, a lot is going on, and I think it's still a gamble whether Prentice is actually going to win this one or not. I mean, it's Rob not Ander- totally clear. Yeah, Rob Anderson says he's receiving death threats, which, you know, may or may not be serious, but there's certainly a metric of the kind of grassroots fury that that these politicians are absorbing right now. Hmm. And, and so what do you think about how the um, remaining Wild Rose MLAs have handled it? And, and what about the party's interim leader, Heather Forsyth? Have they have they made any ground, I guess? I think we all we assume they would kind of disappear. Well, we haven't really heard much from them. They're using the same line that they used back in December 17th, that uh, the apprentice is the reason they joined the PCs, that uh, he was doing a lot of things that they liked, so they joined him. Of course, he hasn't really done a lot. He's promising to do a lot of things. But, you know, but they, they jumped over to him, and now they're trying to rationalize why they did it. But I think you're right, um, with Rob Anderson, there's a metric in terms of the anger out there uh, against him. People are, are of course, began writing, uh, having a, a petition against uh, Danielle Smith to have a recall. Of course, there's no recall legislation in the province, so um, that's, that's, that's more of a symbolic move against her. But right now, we're seeing how the ones who cross the floor are trying to rationalize, rationalize themselves. 
I'm having a hard time even getting a hold of them. I've called them and I haven't heard back. As for, uh, you mentioned the interim leader, Heather Forsyth, she's got her head down just trying to make the best out of a bad situation. Uh, she, look, she's an interim leader. Uh, she had talked about retiring uh, at the end of this, this term. We'll see what, what actually happens with that. But right now, they're a party in disarray. <clears throat> they are praying that Prentice does not call an early election. They're just not ready for it. Mm. But they but they actually don't go away easily because they do have official opposition status. So it's nothing to That's be squandered. She still has a voice. We all still mm-hmm. call her on issues because they're the official opposition. So that must um, be a bit annoying for the, the Prentice troop. Mm-hmm. And then I think the essential question that, you know, that has to come out of this is, is the Jim Prentice party the Prentice Wild Rose party or is it the PC party? And I think people don't know. And with the hiring of more Wild Rose uh, staff, to, to announced yesterday in today's paper. I think that raises more questions again for Jim. I mean, what's really going to be interesting is to see if any of the progressives or the people who've been sidelined by Prentice are going to cross in a different and other direction. Why would they go? Well, I mean, well, are they even going to speak out? Paul raises a great question. Where are they? But, you know, I mean, what what's going to happen to Fred Horn? What's going to happen to Doug Horner? Is he actually going to come to the office? Uh, you know, what about Thomas Lukasik, who spent the last month, you know, posting lots of pictures on Twitter of his trip to Poland and the fancy new red shoes he bought, but very little discussion because this all happened while he was out of the country. I mean, what is the home for the people who were the progressive, progressive conservatives? in this new Wild Rose Prentice merged government. And what is the home for the voters Mm -hmm. who voted for those people? And I don't think Prentice can assume they're going back to him. No, I mean, so is, you know, the Alberta party deep in the underbrush? Is this an opportunity for them? It's hard to see it. The liberals are, you know, in free fall. The New Democrats, you know, Rachel Notley is, is the most effective, you know, opposition voice right now, but it's hard to see how they break out of Edmonton. So is there a possibility that certain members of that party would, you know, reconstitute themselves as the Alberta Progressive Liberal <laughs> Coalition <laughs> something thingy? You wouldn't, you wouldn't want the Alberta in there. Yeah. It's interesting, though, um, going back to what um, you were saying, uh, Sheila, about them being the official opposition, uh, the uh, Wild Rose, that is. If we see the price of oil continue to languish this year, that becomes an issue for the Wild Rose, saying this government can't handle its finances, if we run into deficits. That's the big issue for the Wild Rose, is fiscal responsibility. So that will play into their wheelhouse. If the price of oil does not recover, that gives ammunition to the, even though they're being gutted, to the Wild Rose Party to actually try and rebuild around that. And similarly, if there are huge public sector cuts, yes. um, cuts to health care, cuts to education, cuts to post-secondary, that plays into the people on the other side of the yeah. political spectrum, whether that's the NDP or the Mush Party I previously <laughs> imagined. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be progressives who are going to, you know, if oil is down at $45, $48 a barrel, that is going to mean cuts. And that, that is, is going to put more fuel in the in the tanks of the people who are who are friends of the public sector. Yeah, I don't think it'll be fun being a majority, whether you have a 60-something majority or a 70-something person majority. Let's move to another topic, because one of the things that the Wild Rose was very good at over the last four years was shining a light on the potential and definitive lapses of judgment on the part of PCMLAs, <laughs> um, with many of their harshest critics now on the sidelines, or I guess incorporated into the PC family. It seemed like we might be at the end of that uh, particular songbook, but lo, there was 
another chorus this week. Paula, can you please tell us why the ethics commissioner was commenting on Education Minister Gordon Dirks? Yes, I mean, we'll remember that back during the Calgary Elbow by-election, Gordon Dirks uh, very controversially announced uh, that two portables, uh, portable classroom modules, would be attached to a school in Calgary Elbow, a school that was well down the list of the Calgary Board of Education's uh, list of priorities, but one that was a very hot topic in the by-election campaign. So at that point, both... uh, Greg Clark, who was the leader of the Alberta Party, who was running in that riding, Rachel Notley and Daniel Smith all filed complaints with the ethics commissioner saying that this was dirty pool. So uh, we have a new ethics commissioner, Marguerite Trussler, who is not going to be the kind of um, tame ethics commissioner that her predecessor, Neil Wilkinson, was, I don't think. But she put forward a very interesting report in which she said this was blatant political opportunism and that if she had been asked for her advice, she would have advised the minister either not to do this or to step aside as minister for the duration of his campaign. Campaign. But she said at the end of the day, she's bound by our Alberta laws, which are basically around conflict of interest. And what they basically prevent is, you know, that you can't give a government contract to your brother-in-law. Uh, you can't do anything that enriches you or your family members. But they don't say anything about gaming the system during an election to give pork barrel goodies to your own riding. That's not against the rules in Alberta. And if it's not against the rules, then Marguerite Trussler can't punish you for breaking rules that don't exist but perhaps should. What was interesting, though, is that, you know, uh, it, it was the most damning exoneration you, you could imagine. I mean, Trustler chose her words in this her first major report, I think, to send a very clear message whether the message got through when Mr. Dirks told the Calgary Herald yesterday that he stood by his decision and given the chance, he'd do it again is a separate question. Yeah. What do you think of the way she penned her report? Well, she, lo- you ever seen anything like that from an ethics commissioner? Yeah. You uh, well, no, not that's true. We haven't seen anything quite that strong. Let's also ask ourselves, what's the impact? Clearly, not much. <laughs> yeah. So thank you, Margaret Trussler. But I mean, Tories are not changing their ways here, and nor should we be surprised at that. Yeah, and they're just saying, look, the report cleared him. Technically, he was cleared because the law doesn't go far enough. Other jurisdictions, other provinces have laws where you cannot make promises during election campaigns. Uh, or you, or okay, yeah, uh, gov- the, the government, the government must can. be obliged to. Okay, yeah, so, okay. So, you, so you can't make announcements during election campaigns. Basically, mm. you can promise things down the road, but you can't say I'm going to open a school during an election campaign. Mm. They should do that because you know that would clear up this issue. But I think that Trussell went as far as she possibly could. Uh, but having said that, it still wasn't far enough. She seemed to be saying that yeah, conflict of interest was different than morals. And wasn't there a line? There was a line in there about moral integrity. Yeah, I she said, yeah, so, you know, this law does not deal with moral integrity. Hmm. Well, oh, is that snap. solely dis- divorced from conflict of interest? ethics yeah. and morals somehow? No, That's but, where but, I'm trying to um, figure but, out But I mean, she, ha- she has them. to enforce the law. And what the law says is that you can't take you can't put yourself in a financial conflict of interest. So you can't take a big present. You can't give a contract to a family member. You can't vote on a matter where your own financial interests are in play. It doesn't say anything about what you can do during an election campaign. I mean, she can't make up a law that sadly doesn't exist. But I mean, this goes beyond, you know, it's not just a question of promising something during an election campaign, because people promise things during election campaigns. What she says in the report is that he subverted the system by which you decide which schools get portables. There's a list, the board establishes priority, and there's a timeline. And he, he twisted the rules. He did something that was outside of the standard protocol. That doesn't just disadvantage his can't, the people who are running against him in the election. What about the other schools that were waiting for portable schools that needed them more badly than this 
handpicked one in his riding. I mean, when you ha- when you have a politician who messes with the system for his, you know, to advance his own personal interests, that's unethical. Of course it's unethical. Yeah, I, we I don't, don't have a law that prevents and that. And I like that she had a suggestion about how they could have gotten around that, that, that if this was an important issue that had to be dealt with during the by-election, that he could have handed it over to another minister, right, and said, look, this needs to be decided. I'm going to hand this over to you. So let's move to the other big story of the week, which, well, I think was a big story of the week, which was the latest in the world's most talked about pipeline, TransCanada's Keystone XL. Sheila, what changed this week? Well, as you know, the um, the Democrats lost control of both houses of Congress, and this week was the week that they they officially took over in uh, both houses. And one of the first things they wanted to do was have a vote on the Keystone Pipeline, because of course the Republicans um, support the pipeline. So indeed, that was the first thing they did was they put in motion a vote, which I think will happen tomorrow. They had to have hearings. And so everyone said, so what are you going to do, Obama? And he flatly said through his press secretary that he wouldn't, uh, he would override the vote in Congress. They don't have enough votes to actually override the presidential veto. So for now, Obama still wins. Have you ever heard him say this definitively, no to Keystone XL? This seemed to be like a real big, uh uh-uh, this is not happening. No, this is the most definitive comment. He was hinting at this for months now about the pros and cons. And it was more cons than pros. Um, yeah, he's saying it now because, as um, Sheila pointed out, he's they've lost control of the of Congress, so he's getting tough now. But it's, it's going to be a, a war for the next year and a half till he's actually done his term. And yet, the premier says, our premier says he's going down to Washington to talk about this project. What's the what's the point? Because he thinks all you have to do is wait till 2016 yeah. when Obama's gone, and you get the Republicans to have it. And uh, to, and so it's it's a del- I think that's they think it's it's mostly a delay. Yeah, and I think you're right, and I think that they're thinking. And they're also, now they have a lot of um, uh, allies now in Congress that they can talk to. Also, it's a case of waving the flag to the folks back home, saying, you know, the price of oil is dropping. I can't control that. What I can try and do is get more oil shipped to to market. And of course, we saw a report out yesterday regarding climate change and that is <laughs> yes. you know saying yes. yeah. 99% of our oil has to stay in the ground yeah. or, or the world is hooped yeah. I, yeah. and I also think this I, ha- I have to say it has echoes of Alison Redford because he's going back down there saying once again we have the highest environmental standards in the world and he has not introduced one new environmental policy since he came in so. and, and we're waiting for the climate change um, his, 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 his uh, own uh, platform or climate change plan, his yeah. strategy. And we need a new, re- it was supposed the renewable to be, energy strategy. It's supposed to be coming out the end of December. Now it's being delayed until sometime this year. We don't know. You've had premier after premier saying, I'll get something done on climate change, and they all have failed to deliver. Hmm. And this and, is this is the time in which I will not give my my quarterly social license speech because weekly we, we, we <laughs> can just we can just rewind and listen to those absolutely. Well, to help our listeners take their minds off the falling price of oil, why don't we suggest some good stuff from the gallery? This is our segment where we recommend something with a political edge that we've enjoyed reading or watching. Perhaps we did it over the holidays with our family. Paula, do you want to start us off? Sure, I'm going to start us off because we're talking about. Um, budget cuts and things. This is a really disturbing story from the Detroit Free Press. Uh, They have a backlog of untested rape kits in Detroit, 10,000 untested rape kits. Uh, And so they are now crowd fundraising. They're trying to raise $10 million from the public and from private donors so that they can test this backlog of 
rape kits. Is this because of the city's bankruptcy? It partially and also partially because of uh, police incompetence. They lost them and found them uh, years later. Uh, and so now they have this huge backlog. What's even more disturbing about this story is that after it goes on to detail the problems in Detroit, it lists a bunch of other American cities. Memphis, which has a backlog of more than 12,000 rape kits. Dallas, which has a backlog of more than 4,000 rape kits. Las Vegas, more than 4,000 rape kits. And these are all cities, you know, which are considerably more affluent, perhaps, you know, especially in the case of Dallas than Detroit. And still, they're considering going to the general public and to private philanthropists to raise money so that they can do basic law enforcement. And it just really made me think, you know, sometimes we get sort of this echo of social hysteria about rape culture. And you think to yourself, well, you know, while we focus on a few high-profile celebrity cases you know, very ordinary people who've had their lives upended by this horrible crime can't get justice because, you know, there there isn't enough money in the public purse to do basic policing. And I think it's appalling. It's it's an extraordinary story to read because it's written in such a matter-of-fact way. It's like, oh, well, this is Detroit. This is what we're going to have to do. Lord, we'll put a link up to that. I hope we don't have that situation here. Sheila, would you like to go next for us? Yes, I'm going to change the mood slightly after Paula's serious story. I read a book over the holidays called Forgiveness, a Gift of My Grandparents, a wonderful family memoir by a young man named Mark Sakamoto, who's from Medicine Hat. And it's an amazing story about his paternal grandfather was a World War II veteran uh, who survived a Japanese prisoner of war camp so in, he fought, in Hong he Kong. So he fought on the Canadian he side? He fought on the Canadian side. He was part of that terrible uh, campaign in Hong Kong um, and captured by the Japanese and held for years in worst of conditions, terrible conditions. Meanwhile, over in Canada, uh, Mark Sakamoto's maternal grandmother was forcibly removed, was part of the Japanese internment, forcibly removed from her Vancouver home. They lost all their property, all their business, plunked down in a farm in the Medicine Hat area and became uh, just basic farm laborers with nothing, harvesting sugar beets for four years while the war went on. And, um, And then somehow the Japanese son meets the daughter of Japanese war survive camp survivor and uh and they and Mark Sakamoto is is the author of this how this family comes together uh, through these each of them having had terrible experiences oh that sounds lovely it's and, a lovely I, and I love that it's local or you know Alberta and Alberta story well yeah. thanks yeah. Sheila for that yeah. um I'm gonna recommend something I guess maybe it involves a little bit of forgiveness or at least some apologizing in the end um this comes from Frederick County Maryland and there's a councilman there by the name of Kirby DeLauder. Everyone in the United States knows his name now, even though the reason he's famous is because he told his local paper that if you put my name in the paper without my permission, I'm going to sue you. He's an elected county councilman. So <laughs> I'm going to recommend a brilliant editorial by the Frederick News Post editorial board in which they put Kirby DeLauder's name in the paper about a thousand times, including, if you look carefully, the first letter of every paragraph spells out Kirby DeLauder. <laughs> it is one of the funniest editorials and the best that I've ever read. I loved it. And I should note that I will also post a link to an NPR story in which Kirby DeLauder apologizes because he realizes that, oh, I am an elected official and the local newspaper does have the right to print my name when they're reporting on the county council. <laughs> Stunning. <That's> wonderful. <laughs> That's what I mentioned. Um, Kirby just, the letter? <laughs> no. I, 
my good read, in a sense, would be editorials today in newspapers around the world, uh, and including ours, National Post, about we should actually, you know, uh, mention the, the Charlie Hebdo um, mass murder in Paris. Yes. I mean, we're all journalists. We get a chance to speak our, our minds in a free press, in a free society. And what happened in Paris, of course, uh, was outrageous. Uh, shooting, killing journalists, especially the, the, the people who just wrote cartoons, uh, drew cartoons. So I, I, I want to mention that. And as editorials, you can pick a paper up this morning, our paper, the National Post, talking about it, uh, different opinions. And I think that um, it's really interesting to see the public stand up, especially in Paris, in, you know, with the journalists. Yeah, mm-hmm. It was marvelous to see the people coming out into the street. And I have to say, I, I don't get to have two good stuffs, but uh, Malcolm Mazar... going to try. Mal- Malcolm Mazar, our own cartoonist, has a wonderful Q&A on our front page yeah. to... Uh, Today, yes. Thursday, yep. um, talking about from the point of view of a cartoonist. Fantastic. Thanks, everybody, for that. That's it for this week. So thanks to Graham, Paula, and Sheila for your uh, comments and synopsis and bringing us up to speed. And thanks to journal videographer Ryan Jackson for this week's video production. You'll find a clip of our discussion at edmontonjournal.com. Ryan always surprises us with which one that is, so I can't even tell you which one. Previous episodes of the Press Gallery are archived on our website at edmontonjournal.com opinion, and you can download the podcast for free from iTunes or listen via our Edmonton Journal SoundCloud feed. You can keep tabs on the Press Gallery on Facebook at the Journal's main Facebook page. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week in the Press Gallery. Mm-hmm.